Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. What I want to talk to you about today is two ordinances. Now, when I think of two ordinances, people go, you're talking about tithes and offerings? You're talking about, you know, Sunday service and life group? What are you talking about? No, those are all good, but I'm talking about the only two ordinances that the church has, which are, which is fascinating because they both deal with one thing, which we're gonna, we're gonna get into that in a minute. So first of all, what is an ordinance, right? Here is a definition, it's a noun, and uh, there's several meanings. So it's a piece of legislation um, enacted by a municipal authority. So the Lord gave authority to the apostles and to the church fathers and to uh, people, and so, this is from scripture. This is not made up. This is not arbitrary. This is not, you know, the board voted on it. This is the, the faith once delivered to the saints that has been passed down and passed down and passed down. Um, and so it's an authoritative order. It's a decree uh, and it's a prescribed uh, religious right or responsibility. I would like to say, I think responsibility is, might, might be a better uh, word we're very obsessed with rights and it's good that we have rights but um, wherever there's rights uh, or privileges there is responsibilities Jesus said to whom much is given much is required so so there's there's a level that privilege or favor have you whatever words you want to use there is responsibility attached with blessing abundance favor influence power wisdom, wealth, if you, any way you slice it, in any words you use, if you have that, you're going to be accountable, and so you would be held responsible, and so we need to be uh, responsible. Now, the two ordinances are baptism and communion. Now, communion is Passover fulfilled and redefined in Christ. So we're going, we're going to take, take a look at that. Um... But generally, the children of Israel took the Passover looking back and remembering that God took them out of Egypt. The first Passover was like a pre-travel meal, <laughs> like eat in a hurry, um, eat the bitter roots, re remember the bitterness of slavery, like you have to eat the bitter roots. You, you don't get bitter. But remember the bitterness of slavery and remember the bitterness of sin and remember how Pharaoh did you before you get into the wilderness and you start longing for Egypt. Because that's what happens. When people are in transition sometimes, they long for Egypt because they have become familiar with Egypt. The wilderness will have you crying out for Egypt. So that's another message right there, but we're not going to go in there. How do I know, you know, so, so the, the, listen, the, the wilderness is, is, you know, but it's a place of proving, testing, humbling, crushing, learning the provision of God, learning the ways of God, learning that God is on time, that God can show up, that God can be trusted. You know, all that stuff is very important because if you don't learn those elementary principles, you will not be ready for the promised land. If you cannot, if you don't learn how to abase, You'll never learn how to abound. 
If you don't learn contentment with nothing, then when you have everything, you'll be distracted. So you, you, every season of your life is imperative that you learn the lessons that God is teaching you in that season because he's always preparing you for the desired future that he has for you. All right? So Jesus is the Passover fulfilled and redefined. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to that, but just to remind you, remember he's, this is his last meal. He's eating with his guys, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. This is my, uh, my blood poured out. So, so he, they're taking the Passover looking back. He's taking it looking forward. And both of them are valid. Both of them are important to understand, but he's redefining and fulfilling and reshaping, and he's bringing one of the, the first ordinances to the church, which is communion. Now, if you are not a believer, you should not be baptized or take communion. I want to just touch on one thing historically uh, in, 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 let's say, the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox or the Syrian Orthodox or Egyptian Coptic, Coptics or Catholics or uh, what they do is many times you'll see, and I, I know this could happen to me, I was baptized as a child Greek Orthodox. They, you know, they baptize children and the intention behind that is good, but where that comes from, it comes from a wave of persecution that the early Christians endured under Rome. So the Rome would say, we're going to kill your children. And they say, you could kill our children. You could feed our children to lions. We are not renouncing our faith. Our children belong to the Lord. So they would try to do anything they could to break Christians. And Christians would baptize their children in faith and say, our children belong to the Lord. And no matter what, we and our children are not going to deny the faith. So one, what was a prophetic, bold, courageous act became a religious ritual with, and it lost its meaning because anytime a salt you know, loses its savor, it becomes nothing. So just so you know, that's where that comes from. So as Christians, we dedicate children to the Lord, but we don't baptize children until it is a desire in their heart and there is a clear understanding in them. So for some kids it's seven, others it's nine. We don't push that, we don't force that. That has to come from within them. So I just wanna be, be clear so you know where we stand on that. Um, anyway, now, so if you're not a believer, you should not be baptized or take communion. In fact, if you take communion in an unworthy fashion, you are drinking judgment upon yourself. The scripture says that you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. So you become guilty, as guilty as the first century people who orchestrated his death. <laughs> Which judgment came on them, not on Rome. Judgment, God held Jerusalem and the, the children of Israel, specifically the religious leaders, that he held them accountable for the death of Christ, not Rome. Remember, Pilate washed his hands. Pilate said, this guy's innocent. <laughs> I don't want no part in that. In fact, Pilate's wife and people from Pilate's household supported Jesus' ministry monthly. They were monthly partners. <laughs> so anyway. Now, both communion and baptism deal with sin. If you don't deal with sin, sin will deal with you. The wages of sin are still death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, right? We know that. Romans 6.23, that is good news. But here's, here's the thing. 
We live in a time where people want to redefine what is sinful. Calling evil good doesn't make you good, it only makes you evil. <laughs> okay, redefining what God has defined isn't sin, it's iniquity. Let, let me explain to you, let me, let me give you just a visual on this. Sin and iniquity is not the same thing. Sin is you slap me and I slap you back. Which we're not going to be slapping anybody. <laughs> just so you know. We avoided that last week. So, so we're, not, we're not a slapping uh, group. So, but iniquity is if I go, oh, you see her? She got money. See that pocketbook? And, and then she walks out to the car and I run by and snatch it. Iniquity is premeditated. Sin is I got caught up, I missed the mark, I had a meltdown, I had an explosion, I apologize, you know, I'm sorry. But iniquity is, no, 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 I really wanted to cause you pain. I wanted to, call, I wanted to do damage. In fact, I take pleasure in giving you pain. So that's iniquity. So iniquity and sin is not the same thing. If you ever seen a low-budget ghetto movie, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to get them. You know, and they're plotting to, you know, rob a car or rob somebody. That's iniquity. So anything that is premeditated is iniquity. So sin stops you from knowing God. Iniquity stops God from knowing you. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So, so iniquity and sin are not quite the same thing. But in Christ, we, we are offered forgiveness and mercy. And so we should take that seriously. Mercy in Proverbs is for those who confess and turn from their sin. This is a very, this is a really important thing. One of the things that is really hard for me, that I, that it's hard for me to process it, is that there's been, there's been cultural shifts over the last 15 years. So, like, I remember, this is just my own experience, you know, maybe you've experienced this, maybe not. I remember coming into Christ absolutely shattered and broken over my own sin and the sinfulness of my life. In fact, I went through a phase of three months where I would spend three hours on my face crying out to God from my guts saying, I do not want to go back to the world. When I'm talking about being desperate, There's something that has happened within our generation, within this time, where people have tried to redefine sin and try to uh, dumb down sin, but the wages of sin is still death. If you redefine sin, it will still bring forth death. If you say it's not sin, it will still bring death. So there has to be not a sin consciousness, a God consciousness, where we're not focused on, oh my God, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this. We're, our, our heart is more focused on Jesus, and we don't want to do this or that, because we don't want to destroy the relationship. We don't want to bring anything in between the relationship, but yet there has to be some sort of moral boundaries in our life to say, no, I'm not going to partake of that. If you look at sin or iniquity, you will find this. 
that sin or iniquity damages the people that you love most. So if you were to do something really sinful, or if I were to do something really sinful, the people that you say that you love the most would pay the most. That's how you know that it does not lead to pleasure, it does not lead to joy, it leads to destruction. This is why when one of the things I learned when I first got saved is that the things that I used to find pleasure in, I felt bad about. So if any of you who ever smoked cigarettes before, you know when you smoke a cigarette, if you're sick, it tastes bad. And you go, oh, I'm getting sick. That's how you know God is doing something in your life because your taste buds change. Your appetites change. That's a very, a very important part of healing, growth, sanctification, repentance, all those words you want to you know, throw on there, all the Christian words. But that's how you know something's going on when you don't feel good about doing bad. So that's, that's a good thing. So if, you, if, you have, if you're going through that right now with, with something in your life, that's okay. Let, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let Him say, ah, ah. And, and God, give God permission to lead you. Don't assume that you know, you know everything and you, you're going to do everything your way. Just allow God uh, to lead you. Now, baptism, when John the Baptist preached repent, uh, baptism was a way that people could respond to his preaching. One of the things that's important in our, in our life is that we learn how to be responsive to the Lord. This is something that, that, I, that I find, um, I find that we, I, I myself have done this, so I'm not pointing a finger at you. I, I find it's very interesting, for example, Zacchaeus, remember, remember little Zach, short guy? His, his problem was he was short. Right? So since he's short, the little guy, he cannot see over the crowd of people. Right? So what does he do? He climbs a tree. So his problem is the thing that got him in position. So he gets in the tree. Now he's up in a tree looking down at Jesus. Now he's in Jesus' line of sight. Now if he was right here, Jesus wouldn't have saw him. <laughs> You know, sometimes your problem is the thing that brings you to Jesus and brings you kind of face to face with God. So it's all right if you have like problem, whatever. So then Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to your house for lunch, pal. Like I know, I know you got the good pursuit and I'm just playing. So I know, like I know, I know that you guys are going to feed me because you're a crook. <laughs> so, so he goes and now Jesus doesn't talk about sin. Jesus doesn't condemn him. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. And Zacchaeus goes, all right, I'm going to return fourfold what I've taken from people. Immediately, repentance with a desire for restitution. That's what salvation is. When salvation comes, there is repentance, there is confession first, repentance second, restitution third. A desire to make things right. Listen, if someone could, if, if I could return fourfold what I stole from you, I'm pretty rich. Right? He must have had something going on, something good going on. Because if he can return fourfold what he stole and still not be poor, he's got something. He's got some, something, some hustle happening. And yet, this is the thing that I find very fascinating. 
there's people that have walked with Jesus for years and their heart wasn't that responsive to him. But in one lunchtime, his heart was responsive to Jesus. So this is, this is very important because you, you know something, God, many times in our life, God knocks on the door, he whispers, he sends, he sends encouragement, he sends a rebuke, he sends a blessing, he said, and it's ultimately to get the attention of our heart. It's not ultimately about the blessing or the this or the that. It's ultimately to, to, to knock on your heart to see if you're, you're paying attention to the Lord, to see if you're like, you're, you're, you know. And this guy, through one lunch, was willing to make restitution. Now, everywhere he went to make restitution, where, what's there? The gospel is there. The testimony of the Lord is there. So there's a, there's a multiplying effect when someone's heart responds to the Lord correctly. So now the way you would respond to John's crazy preaching is you jump in the water, the water and get baptized. What, what I'm getting at is that when God is getting your attention, no matter what, if, it, if, it's, if it's him saying something you don't want to hear, if it's favor, if it's a blessing, when God is getting your attention, make sure you respond to him. Don't push it off till later. Do it now. Like, seize that opportunity. Do that lambano thing. Grab hold of that thing and, and really allow the Lord. So anyway, now John was concerned about the sincerity of the ones being baptized. In fact, he called out those who were disingenuous. The, the, the word that he used for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were brood of vipers. Snakes. So he called out the disingenuousness, that's a word, I think it's a word, of the religious folks. So it's imperative that if we are responsive, that we're sincere. Okay? Now, let me go to Luke 3. I want to, this is really what I, what I want to spend a few minutes here. You have Matthew and Luke, which we can go into. But so th this is John. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is 3-4. Three, three, uh, three, uh, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, this is, this is a message Sunday. Snakes, get out of the water. You know, it's like, whoa, faster. You know, but what he's talking about, I'm sorry to tell you, he's not talking about hell. I know that we want him to be talking about hell. I know we like to talk about hell a lot. But he's actually talking about the Romans coming. Yeah. One of the things that we have as Americans, we have a disease, a big disease. And I'm sorry if you're white, black, or green. If you live here, you have the disease. We, we feel that everything is about us. We have that disease. And uh, so, but it's not, he's a prophet speaking in a culture and to a culture about something that is happening in their real lives. Sometimes we, we read the Bible like it's a play. Like, no, 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 these are real people. <laughs> this is not staged. Uh, this is, this, 
this is happening. This happened. This is real life. Okay. Brood of vipers, flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In other words, do not use your religion and your ethnicity to say that you are a part of Abraham's family. Behave like Abraham. Because remember, Jesus' family is one of faith. Okay. Jesus hasn't come on the scene, but he's coming soon. So stick around. Uh, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? See, that's a good question. You see that question? That question means that he's gotten to their conscience. The Holy Spirit, through the preaching of John... Is getting to their conscience. What what should we do? What should our response be? Right? Is that a good thing? Yes. Okay. And he answered and said, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So God is not against you having two jackets. What he's against is someone having no jackets. You understand? All right. Now, 12. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Then he said, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, do not abuse your authority. Do not leverage your authority for money. 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And he said, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So he gave them three expressions of what does repentance look like. Repentance always looks like something. In other words, if there's real repentance, there's real evidence of that repentance in your actions. Don't just tell people you're sorry. Show them. You see that in the ministry of Jesus where Zacchaeus is going and he makes restitution. There's a desire for reconciliation. There, there is an acknowledgement of what he did that was wrong and a willingness to do something about it. Verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will, th and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this is speaking of the judgment of the Lord. This is talking about the harvest and the judgment. Okay? And, uh, and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. Say many other. That was a hostage situation. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, uh, his brother's wife, and for all the evil which Herod had done, also added this above all, and he shut John in prison. Now, what John did is he fulfilled his prophetic vocation because his prophetic vocation was to announce to Israel who was the real king of the Jews. So when John called out this behavior about the dude marrying his brother's wife or the dude stealing his brother's wife, that was important that he did that because that is not the king of the Jews. That is not how the Messiah or the king of the Jews will behave. So he had to speak up because that was part of his vocation. 
Some people have to speak up. All right? Now, you can see, if I go to um, back, I'll go back to Matthew for a second. In, in Matthew 3, this is 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need, this is obviously before he got locked up, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to not be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed it. Then he had been baptized. Jesus came immediately up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting upon him, and alighting, not lightning, and alighting upon him. And suddenly the voice came from heaven, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus' baptism was a very, very significant day in his life. Jesus did, was not baptized to confess his sins because he didn't have any. Okay? John the Baptist was a Levite who did not minister in the temple. Are you with me? It's the Levite's role to consecrate the lamb for Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So although John didn't minister in the temple, Jesus is the temple, and Jesus is the lamb, and Jesus is the high priest. And it was the role of a Levite to fulfill all righteousness, so the Levites would, would separate the lamb for Passover. This is very important. The Father revealed Jesus at his baptism. That, that is not by accident in any way. Jesus being baptized is an act of radical, radical humility. Many people in our life, in life, fight to be understood. Fight to be seen. Fight to be heard. Jesus is perfect, and he gets in the waters of baptism with sinners. How's that for being misunderstood? That's not good for your press release. Here you have a rabbi with his little rabbi outfit on, and he's jumping in the water with sinners. That don't look kosher. That looks like, what was Jesus doing last night type of thing. It, it looks like, well, why is, a, why is Jesus a righteous guy like a holy guy, why is he getting baptized with sinners? Because what happens? The sins of the people are put on the lamb. So our sin, he bore our sin in his body. So he's identifying with our condition when he steps into the waters of baptism. Which is real humility. It's like inconceivable. And, and so he steps into the waters and the father says, my well-beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But he never did anything yet. He never did no ministry. What did he do? He waited on God. That's the thing that pleases God. Sons do not reveal themselves. Fathers reveal sons. When you have no father, it's difficult to get promoted because there's no one in your corner. There's no one saying, I want to push you forward. I want to encourage you. I want to sow into your life. I believe in you. So that's why you have orphans running around trying to promote themselves because they have no father. 
And what you, what you earn by self-promotion, you have to keep by self-promotion. So anyway, Jesus does this thing of getting in the waters. It's, it's an act of just, just inconceivable humility that he identifies with our condition and the lamb who will become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So anyway, baptism is a burial. The scripture says in Romans that we're buried with him in baptism. So Jesus doesn't want to crucify you only. <laughs> People want to be born again, but they don't want to be crucified. There's a song that one of the, one of the worship leaders, I think it was like David Crowder back in the day. He's like, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. <laughs> like, you, know, like, you know, so that's interesting how that works. But uh, any, anyhow, so, so now... God doesn't want to just kill you and crucify you and leave you up there all exposed. You know, God's like, man, we got to bury you to make sure you're good and dead. Listen, if you don't go through a major death process, then the resurrection life of God is not going to spring forth from you. This is very important. You know, many people want to skip this process but if you skip it what the, what what it will produce on the other side is cheap it's not costly it's not fragrant it's you know the olives that become the oil they have to be crushed crushed no crushing no oil. Do you know nowadays, can I tell you something? Do you know nowadays pastors, they buy sermons? They buy sermons. AI too. I'm serious. Something that you are supposed to get from intimacy from discipline, from also God troubling you. You cannot tell me, you cannot tell me, you pick this book up, and then you get your little study guide out with your little Greek and Hebrew words. You cannot tell me you can read this and not be troubled. I don't believe you, because I'm getting troubled. But this is it, you know, because now people want, they want the cheap stuff, the fast stuff. I'm not into cheap. Anyway, communion. Jesus fulfilled and redefined the Passover. We went over that already. The children of Israel ate it looking back. Jesus ate it looking forward to the cross. Everything we receive in the kingdom, Jesus paid for on the tree. So everything that you have is not cheap. Just because something is free doesn't mean it's cheap. That's, that's the whole point of an inheritance. An inheritance, just because it was free, someone else had to go to work 
<laughs> somebody, somebody punched the clock. You know, somebody, somebody did something. You know, you, you may have got an inheritance or a check, but somebody went to work. All right. Anyway. Oh, I got a typo. That's painful. Just want to see that. That's painful. The Passover lamb. It's supposed to say Jesus is. The Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in Christ, you don't have to be a slave to sin or a slave to your impulses or a slave to what was done to you or what you want to do or what you used to like to do. You don't have to be a slave. That's very, very freeing. To me, that's very freeing. Now, when, when it says that he comes to take away the sin, let me explain what that... So, so first of all, he takes away the power of it. So something that used to have power over you no longer has power over you, number one. Number two, something that you used to desire, you no longer desire. That's powerful. In addition to that, when the power of sin is broken, the desire for it is not there. The pleasure from it is not there. Its authority over you is not there, and the consequences of it have been paid. So Jesus does not only free you from the sin, but he frees you from the consequences of that sin. Now we're talking about eternally. Eternally, you're forgiven. But then on this side, <laughs> on this side, I want to explain to you, the Bible says that, uh, for example, uh, a man who commits adultery, that reproach will never go away from him, but he can be forgiven by God. So God can say, okay, you commit adultery, all right, I forgive you, my child, my son, you, you know, delete. People will never delete that. So what that means is that you will live with a reproach among men even though you've been forgiven by God. That's why you have to be very cautious of your actions because you can be forgiven of something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will not live with the ramifications of that. That's very important. Okay. Taking communion is how healthy self-examination and self-awareness uh, happens. And not a self-focused self-awareness. Not a self-indulging self-awareness, but an encounter with God that releases an actual and accurate self-awareness. Yes? I saw the Lord, Isaiah 6. Oh, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of you know, unclean lips. God wasn't talking about you know, the sins of the lips. He just had an encounter with holiness, which is a mirror. This is why people, can I tell you why? You know why people stay out of here? People stay out of here because they do not want to look in the mirror. This will size you up. Oh, you cannot come to this with some, some bogus excuse. Oh, I was tired. You know, I'm working. I got blah, blah, blah. You come with that? Not with the living God. And not with children. You take excuses to little children? That don't matter to them. They said, but you said. 
And you know what little children will do? They will enforce your own words. Little enforcers. So anyway, a healthy self-examination, that's very important because if I'm willing to examine myself, if I'm willing to see something in my life that needs to change, that puts me in a better place with you. Why? Because if I'm living in denial about me with you, that will hurt my relationship with you. Because it'll feel as if I'm not being genuine with you. You will think I'm being disingenuous with you because I'm not being honest with myself. Some people lie to you because they lie to themselves. They cannot be honest with you because they have become experts at lying to themselves. And Christians are the best at lying to themselves because they can put faith on it. So they can attach faith to it. So I'm in faith this or I'm in faith that, but you're being disingenuous, you're not being honest. So in the name of Jesus, folks lying to themselves. Yep, that's another story. What I, what I found is that, I'm going to touch this on Sunday, so I'm not going to preach Sunday, but you have to learn to let the Lord, this is real intimacy with God, let the Lord be brutally forthright with you. And you have to find people that love you enough that you have given permission enough to be forthright with you. Because that will grow you, that'll nurture you, that'll warn you, that'll save you unnecessary pain through people sharing wisdom with you. It will really save you problems. If you, if you learn to hear wisdom, you will avoid unnecessary problems. All right, final thoughts. Now, before I give you final thoughts, I do have a hostage. Remember, remember uh, Judas? What does he do? Judas is a picture of someone who puts money before God. He, he is the embodiment of mammon. You want to see how that turns out? Look at Judas. The first time he opens his mouth is about that Jesus isn't worth the alabaster jar. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's incredible. It's like, way to use your mouth, pal. You know, like, so anyway, he could have used the Joel Seed sermon. <laughs> so Joel would have helped him use your mouth for good things. You know, like, Judas, don't do that to yourself. So anyway, Judas really was not, you know, anyway. So anyway, Judas had to be replaced. And this is the thing, like, if Jesus' treasurer could be replaced, I could be replaced and you could be replaced, just so you know. None of us are unreplaceable in the mission. Now, to your mommy or daddy, you may be unreplaceable, but, you know, as it relates to the mission of God, we're all, we can be replaced. So now, they, they have to select a 12th apostle to fulfill his position so before the day of Pentecost can fully come, they had to occupy his position. Twelve is the number of government. Many times there's not a wineskin. We don't have a wineskin for what we're asking God to pour out. We're asking for wine. God is refining a wineskin. We're asking for something. We're not ready for that. 
So anyway, they, they do something real spiritual. They choose two guys and they roll dice to see. <laughs> it's dice and a prayer. They're like Dominican, you know. <laughs> so anyway, this is a fascinating thing. I want you to hear just one phrase from uh, this. Now, Peter steps up. And Peter begins to discern that this man's position needs to be occupied according to the prophecy of the Psalms. You can see this in Acts 1, uh, 18, 20 he starts, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Now what's fascinating is that the money that he betrayed Jesus with, 30 pieces of silver, Samson was sold for more than that, 40 pieces. How's that for disrespectful? And so anyway, but the, the priests didn't want the money back. And what they did is they wound up buying a field and burying the poor in the field. So even in Jesus' death, even in his being betrayed, he was a blessing to the poor. Even though he was put in a rich man's tomb. And that, that shows you the purpose of people who have money the purpose of people who have money is to make way and space for the body of Christ. That's what Joseph of Arimathea did. It says that he was a rich disciple of the Lord Jesus, which means it's possible to be a disciple and to be rich, but the issue is Jesus has to be first. And, 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 and he, Jesus went into Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Jesus, so Jesus didn't just die for you, Jesus died as you. So he was put in that tomb. And we're buried with him in baptism, which is the whole thing there. There's truth and, and all that. But so now Pete figures out, okay, we got we to fill this guy's position. So therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time. Say all the time. All the time. That the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. You see that? The baptism of John was the beginning of when the thing started. This is what Peter said. Peter's not the sharpest guy in the world, but Peter knows one thing. The one requirement is consistency. The one requirement is that you stuck around. From the beginning, he saw it. From the beginning, he was an eyewitness to it. From the beginning, he walked out what he saw and knew. From the beginning. In stock, early adapters. In tech, early adapters. Those are the people who make it. They see, oh, this Amazon thing, this thing is going to blow. Boom, 1999, they buy 500 shares or whatever. And now... Early adapters are the people who profit from, from whatever they can see. Right? Yes or no? So now, th th there's something that is, this is what I want you to get. There's something that is very significant about the baptism of Jesus. So for some of you, Sunday is a very significant day in your life. You may not feel, oh my God, it's so significant. Angels may not be singing to you at Ocean Grove. 
However, in the spirit, it's a significant day because it represents a burial. And you know what? Honestly, sometimes things need to be buried. Sometimes you need to make sure that this is good and dead <laughs> and, and buried and, and dead and, and gone so that something new oof, can spring forth. Okay, we should not be focused on sin, but we should not give in to sin. You have power over sin because Jesus lived a sinless life and Jesus is in you. That's why when you sin, you don't feel good. That's your soul knowing what your spirit knows. Sanctification is not God dealing with your past. It's God preparing you for your future. The cross of Jesus deals with your past. The blood of Jesus, you know, covers your sin, but it doesn't protect you from the devil. It protects you from the wrath of God. <laughs> anyway. But let me just say one thing. I just want you to think. I know that sometimes we don't stop to think, but just maybe later tonight or tomorrow or sometime when you have a few minutes, sit down and think about how the two ordinances of the church both deal with sin. One washes you from it and buries you out of it. The other one is a forgiveness and a covering from it. So God wants to make sure you're washed, baptized, I mean, he really wants us to detach from a life of sin because sin is dehumanizing. Sin promises one thing and delivers another. With sin, it's like you order a pizza, but you're getting poison. That's how sin is, and that's what sin does. Okay, the wages of sin are still death. Sin is dehumanizing and destructive. If you are not convinced of that, you will run to things that hurt you. Let me give you an example. I was thinking of this today, so I'm going to use this example because it's fresh in my mind. Let's just say I have pain in my life. Emotional pain, some sort of pain. And so what do I do? I go to alcohol. I go to alcohol. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to alcohol, but I'm using an example. Someone has pain, emotional pain, trauma in their life, and so they, they go to alcohol to numb it and they take that thirst and only wind up dehydrated and they take that thirst and they only wind up sicker and broker and with less trust and the problem that they're trying to avoid or evade is still there now they still have the same problem and they have they don't feel good this is a practical example. This is a natural example of if I go to the world to be refreshed, I only wind up dehydrated. This is something that, you know, it's, it's really like if you think that going to the world somehow is going to fill you, you're going to you're sadly mistaken. And I, and I don't say that in a critical spirit or in a judgmental way, but I say that to save people pain and time and, and, and you know, money. And, you know, you, you do that and then you have less trust for the people that you care for most. And it's just, it's very destructive. So anyway, redefining sin doesn't mean you will avoid death. <laughs> 
So if I change the name of sin, it's still sin. And it still leads to death. If you get pulled over at 100 miles an hour and the cop goes, you were speeding, and you, and you say, officer, I was driving fast. <laughs> You're still going to get a humongous ticket. Okay. Taking communion with godly reverence and being baptized with the desire to leave willfully sinning behind is an essential part in your Christian walk. So that means that it doesn't mean that, oh my God, I can't be baptized until I'm perfect. If you had, if you know, if we waited till we were perfect, we'd never get baptized. That's not the point. But if you got a booty call, you know, on Monday and you're getting baptized on Sunday, you know, I would say hold off on the baptism, you know, because you really want to really walk in the fear of the Lord. You want to walk in the fear of the Lord. And I say that to you because the Bible says this about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So whatever God is doing, there is a level of endurance to it. Whatever sin is doing, there's destruction from it. All right? All right, we're done. The kids were done a few minutes ago, but... Anyhow, let us pray. Anyone who's getting ready for baptism, let's just say you had a struggle in your life. Well, I don't know. Let's just say, let's use porn. Or let's use the false comfort of the refrigerator. Or uh, whatever. Whatever, you, you pick it. You pick the demon. I encourage you to, to pull out a piece of paper and to write any struggle that you may have had. To acknowledge it, to confess it before the Lord, to thank God for victory over it, to rip it up and throw it in the garbage, and to believe that when you go into those waters, that you're coming out new. And believe that. And, and if we fall short, which we all do, we can confess and we can be honest with God, we can receive forgiveness and we can move forward. So that's the good news of the gospel, that God is a merciful God, but that we should not use that as, as, as a uh, carte blanche to just do whatever we want. You know, grace is not a license to, you know, you know kill. <laughs> you know. So anyway, Lord, we thank you for uh, what you're doing. We thank you for your people. We thank you for those who have set their heart and their life aside to be baptized and to walk into this new season. We pray for those who need a refreshing. Lord, we ask you that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember, we're not here Sunday. We're in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, 10 a.m. If you need a ride, reach out. Let us know. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.